there isn't a labour market anymore. I think that's the reality of it. I think we're realising now how much we depended upon that transient marketplace of students and backpackers and people that were moving through, how important they were. I know for my business, I'd, I'd have to quote 30 to 40% in my business of both skilled and unskilled labour, potentially from overseas, that simply isn't here. Uh, we've been running adverts for three weeks and I, at the moment we're actually in the um, negotiating stage to buy a second truck because we have so much demand. But the only thing that's stopping me from moving forwards on that is that we won't be able to start it. And I don't think it's a problem that's going to be easy to fix in the very near future. This week on Dirty Linen, we are going to continue talking about staffing. I think the weekly format is going to need to expand into a fortly, fortnightly format because in hospitality, when you settle on an issue, you realise there is so much to talk about. Uh, there's a few reasons that I'm excited to talk to Paul Stafford from Bigger Than Texas Barbecue today. One reason is that he's down in Mornington, which although technically part of Metro Melbourne, is certainly a weekend escape for many Melburnians. And I know that the city has emptied out this weekend and everyone seems to have busted through that 25k and headed uh, to, to Country Vic. So I'm interested to hear about that. I also know that Paul has got a lot to say about staffing and the, the difficulty of finding people to work in his food trucks. But first of all, welcome, Paul. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Thanks for inviting me. Tell me, set the scene for us. Where are you today and what's about to happen? So we're sitting uh, in the middle of Mornington um, because of one of Dan Andrews' briefs to councils to try to release as much outdoor space as possible to food and beverage operators. Uh, we've been working with um, Dean from a, a business down here called God's Kitchen, which is a, a very well-established music and bar venue in an old church. And we've secured a fairly big site of, of Nature Strip next door, which we've decided to do a a, a semi-permanent pop-up. So we'll be here every weekend now, weather permitting, through until probably March or April. We'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, we're we're having to be COVID compliant. So although we've got a very big area, it, we still only have a limited capacity of, of 70 people at this stage, but that could change at any time. And uh, yeah, we're trading every weekend. So we're trading uh, Saturday, Sunday, Friday nights, um, and also fielding lots of inquiries for our regular business at the moment for um, Christmas catering. That's, that's great. And have you noticed a lot of people from Melbourne spilling out of the city this weekend? <laughs> my 10-minute my trip this morning took 30 minutes. The peninsula, I know if you look at some of the stats from Tourism Victoria at the moment, the, uh, the peninsula is really hot to trot. I think they're expecting, uh, don't quote me on this, but over 5 million visitors this year. It'll be one of the, the busiest um, destinations for Melbournians. Melbournians this summer and we are seeing it this weekend it is extremely busy down here everybody is running at capacity uh, I would I would actually go so far as to say is there isn't enough supply to meet meet the people that are down here well that's a, a bit of a concern in many ways isn't it one is that you want people to have like the, the their first weekend out of town you want them to have a great experience but I suppose another thing that leaps to my mind when you say you know there's pressure on businesses to serve people is that it makes it uh, there's pressure on people to bend the COVID safe rules isn't there? There is but I think most people are being sensible about it I think we're in a really fortunate position in Victoria and I know that there was a lot of uh, a lot of chest beating during Dan Andrews lockdown and I was probably as guilty as everybody of saying you know we need to stop we need to stop but I think in hindsight now we're in a, a phenomenal place and I think everybody has become aware of the need to keep it that way I know I interact with a lot of businesses and have a lot of friends that are in the industry in Melbourne and 
um, the, the conversation seems to revolve around two things. One is where on earth do I find staff? And the other thing is, you know, let's just do the right thing. You know, I, I'm surrounded by food and beverage businesses where we're located here in Mornington and everybody is trying to do the right thing. Of course, there'll always be people that, that push the boundary because they want to take more money. But I think as a, as a rule, I think that the, the law of the jungle will sort that out and they'll either be pinged by the relevant authorities or or they'll be chastised by the the co-workers. Mm. Oh, well, it's really good to hear that you're seeing people being compliant. I saw something funny on Twitter this morning. Um, the Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton's up in Bright for the weekend. He tried to go to the brewery <laughs> twice and was turned away because the numbers, they had their numbers and they couldn't accept any more customers. So, um, wow. Yeah. So a bit of, you know, bittersweet. They're they're applying his rules, but it means that he can't get a beer. <laughs> so that was a pretty funny Well, one. just to give you some idea, God's Kitchen, which is, I say, it's a, it's a very established business here. Dean, um, Dean fielded over a hundred calls yesterday afternoon to try and book tables for last night, and they were already fully booked. So that's that not amazing. people booking a table. That's 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 parties trying to book tables. Um, yeah. So I, there would be a lot of frustration out there, I think, from the community wanting to get into places. Um, I think there'd be a lot of people that are keen to spend money, and we're very keen to take it, but we have limited capacity. Well, of course, one way to increase capacity is to have more staff and to be able to, yeah, you know, whether it's open another business or open for more hours. So let's talk about that. How are you finding the staffing situation? I think it is in the worst state it's been in since since I started working in Melbourne. I arrived in Australia in 1989. I've been in Melbourne for the last 22 years and worked in a number of small and large establishments. Um, and I think we're in a, a situation now through no fault of anybody's and hindsight's always wonderful, but, but it, it solves no purpose. I think uh, there isn't a labour market anymore. I think that's the reality of it. I think we're realising now how much we depended upon that transient marketplace of students and backpackers and people that were moving through, how important they were. I know for my business, I'd, I'd have to quote 30 to 40 percent in my business of both skilled and unskilled labour, potentially from overseas, that simply isn't here. Uh, we've been running adverts for three weeks and I, at the moment we're actually in the um, negotiating stage to buy a second truck because we have so much demand. But the only thing that's stopping me from moving forwards on that is that the, the, the problems that we're experiencing with our current scenario makes me very, very concerned that it's all very well bringing a, a, a bigger business on board, but we won't be able to staff it. And I don't think it's a problem that's going to be easy to fix in the very near future. So do you put it laid at the feet of the, the fact that there aren't as many internationals around or do you think there are other issues? I think I think the internationals is, is probably the biggest slice of the pie, but I think there are other issues. I've got a young guy actually working here for me today who's been with me for three years, is an Indian student here, tremendous guy and, and um, very much part of our family. Uh, he's... Um, We've managed to keep everybody. I, I, I have to have a bit of a disclaimer here. We've been exceptionally busy over this period. So I feel very blessed that we've been able to keep our business running and keep our staff employed to a certain extent because we've been doing takeaway and pop-ups. But to give you Harry as an example, Harry's worked for me now uh, for nearly three years. Uh, one of the best people I've ever had working for me. He's managed to secure other work as well in the city uh, during the last six months. Um, doing cleaning work for some of the bigger supermarket chains and earning phenomenal money and doing what I'd call respectable hours. Now, he's a family man um, and he's incredibly loyal to me, but I absolutely understand why he doesn't want to be doing big hours in hospitality anymore. Um, 
I, I don't think it's the money because the award to a certain extent has been sorted out and a lot of the issues that we've had um, historically with wage and everything else is, 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 is being fixed as a transition in place. But I think uh, it's a tough game, Danny. It's a really tough game. And I think um, it's a game that people don't want to go into because they want to be out playing with their friends and not working to serve them. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, do you think that there are structural things that can be changed about the industry? I mean, you've mentioned the award and, um, you know, when people are paying correctly, uh, so hopefully that's not the issue. Uh, are there other structural things that can be changed about the industry to make it more attractive to people to, to both enter and also stay? Oh, to enter, I, I think... Um, Again, it's going to be very difficult until we get this marketplace back and we certainly don't want to be flooding the country. I think at this stage there are bigger people in play trying to control that kind of thing, but we don't want that um, influx of people to work. I know that a lot of the students that are here that are from overseas um, are limited to a certain extent. A lot of them that are on certain visas can only work 20 hours a week, um, which means one of two things, either outside that 20 hours they can't work or outside that 20 hours they're working in a black economy, which which we, we just you know, don't want to have moving forwards. It, it, again, puts us back where we were two years ago before that whole scenario blew up. So I think mm. there would certainly be scope to look at the visa situation, um, making it attractive for people that here, look, I've got a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old and I know you've got kids and, and they've worked for me um, since they were very young. I won't put the age out there because I'll probably get into trouble, but they've always worked with me <laughs> in the industry and I think it's been a tremendous grounding for them. But I'm losing them now. You know, they're 17, they're 16, they're out with their friends. Their friends are not interested in in the slightest in, in working in the industry. I think kids these days are relatively wealthy. They have money in their pockets. There seems to be little or no need to go to work. So I'm not sure how we make it attractive for them. When you bear in mind that very often it's just a stepping stone proposition to another career. It just gets, you know, gets them through uni and inverted commas, gives us some pocket money but they just don't seem to want to come and do that anymore. So I, I don't think money is the is the option. I think, you know, when there's nobody in the labour marketplace, sometimes putting the wages up, and I'm not against it, but putting the wages up, it doesn't create more people in the marketplace. It just means that people there get paid more money. And, and the wages are good now when you look at the penalties that are applied. Mm. You can earn good money. Um, I, I've been banging my head and I've been talking to lots of people in both big and small businesses for the last two weeks. And um, and I, I I normally pride myself on finding creative solutions, but this one has me absolutely stumped. If, if there's nobody out there looking for work, then it's really hard to create that supply. I, I don't know how you create it. And you mentioned that you had um, people that booked in for trials that didn't show up the other day. Yeah, well, look, you know, that's the flip side. That's always been the case. But, you know, you've probably had, to give you some idea, last year, if we ran an advert, um, this time of year, we're normally up in the ante on our staffing because Christmas is coming and, and it's summer and everyone's out and playing. Uh, if I ran an advert through Seek or through, uh, we use a lot of the uh, uh, social media forums, such as the Melbourne Culinary Exchange, and there are lots of exchanges and forums out there for advertising, I would probably receive in excess of 100 replies straight away, lots of them from overseas students. Um, mm -hmm. We've been running adverts now for three weeks. I, I can tell you how many replies I've had. I've had six. Um, I've spoken to all six of those people. Um, three of them I had penciled in for trials. And, and I just want to preface that by saying we pay for our trials. We pay travel time. 
we're very conscious of it being a a, a situation where both the the potential employee and us get to know each other and see if, if it's a fit in both directions because you know we want it to be a fit and it is an unusual business being a food truck mm-hmm. um and they haven't turned up so and you know the one i had a situation yesterday that a young lady that i was really keen to to talk to because i'd spoken to her for nearly half an hour about coming into work for us and and everything seemed to fit and i thought this is great she's a young mum she's got these commitments but the timing just everything you know the stars aligned for us and i thought wow this could be perfect she's local everything's great so i yeah arranged for her to come and work with us yesterday 12 um confirmed it on friday at two in the afternoon 12 15 yesterday no show send a text no reply tried to call no reply and it, look i've got to say it makes me feel really angry really makes me feel quite angry and frustrated and saddened um because i know that that is now the norm it's not it's not an unusual case i just don't get that i just i mean it's so disrespectful i think uh, i'm starting to sound like my dad as i get older and i'm not particularly old (laughs) but i just think that we have um a sense of entitlement in Australia sometimes. And I very much consider myself an Australian. I came over here from the UK 30 years ago. But I do think that there is this real sense of entitlement here. You know, we were working last night and Dean was running the liquor side of things at the location we're at. And the behaviour of some of the young kids was atrocious. And he's very strict, obviously, with COVID and everything else. And it's just disappointing. There's a there's a real um, air of no responsibility, uh, no commitment, no loyalty. And maybe it's deserved to the industry because, we, you know, historically it's not been a good thing. But I, it just saddens me. It really saddens me. They're certainly not the values that I want to impart into my kids, but they certainly seem to be the, invali- the values that are being imparted into the majority of kids. I mean, you, you, your kids worked for you, as you've said, and now they're sort of moving on to other things. Have you, would you, have you tried to talk them into staying in hospitality? Are you, like, no. What, what about? Absolutely, no. positively, no, no. <laughs> That's no. an interesting I, one, all, then, isn't it? That's a bit of a conundrum. It is, for. and it's really sad. It's real. You know, my, my father had pubs in the UK. It's all I've ever known. It's all I've ever studied. I've, I've, I studied hotel and catering management in the UK, and I've. I've gone on and requalified in various areas over here, and it is sad. But but you, there's there's huge reward I think emotionally and um, and it's satisfying to to look after a restaurant and serve people. And anybody that's industry in the industry will know what I'm talking about. But the, but the frustration and the concerns and the stress and the workloads are are becoming in balance and I think the industry's in trouble in Australia and again I'm glad I'm towards the end of my career I'm actually re-qualifying at the moment I'm just about to finish my accounting qualifications which for an old fellow like me is is astounding but it's just something that I wanted to pursue to understand more but uh, I, I yeah it saddens me but I I definitely don't want my kids in the industry they'll make their own decisions and they're sure. you know they've and they've grown up to be great kids. We And I know you compare your kids and everyone thinks they've got great kids, but my kids have a sense of work ethic. You know, my son will stand shoulder to shoulder with me. He's 17 now and has done since he was 14 and do a 12-hour day. And I'm not proud of the fact that he's doing a 12-hour day, but I'm really proud of the fact that he'll do it without um, whinging or moaning and he'll have a laugh and he gets on well with the team and he shows a level of maturity. And that's going to stand him in amazing stead with whatever he does. Absolutely. I mean, it's just such good life experience, no matter what he ends up doing. Uh, so yeah, you're, right. you're, 
you've got your accounting qualification or you're almost there. What what was your motivation for doing that? Look, I've always I've always been quite good with accounts and I did a business uh, hotel and catering business management degree in the UK and um, I've, I've always really enjoyed managing businesses from a, a P&L perspective, I guess. I've done some big work for companies like Melbourne Racing and Peter Rowland in that area. And it's something that I realized that I needed to to actually, I guess, quantify and, and get a bona fide um, qualification. So I've, I'm almost there. I've got um, the most boring part of it all, which is tax law to finish. And I'll have that done, I hope, in the next 12 weeks, providing I can find some stuff. Um, <laughs> right. And I don't, I don't know if I'll... I don't particularly want to practice, but it's certainly given me some formal training in um, in my current business and helping other people in business. And and I think it's something that an enormous number of people in hospitality lack is that uh, is you know they're often very creative and they're often focused on guests, front of house, food quality, and everything else, but they don't necessarily know what's going on back in the office, and it's becoming more and more important. Are there any like particular things that you've learnt or been able to work your way through that you can that you've applied in your business or that you could say would be applicable to other hospitality businesses? Look, I, I think the, the key thing is to really understand your figures and have access to information. And and you know, it's it's critical to have real time information. The number of people that I speak to that are unaware of their food costs, they're unaware of their their true sales. They you know that they dis- they discuss and and confuse sales with profit. We you know we had a really great night tonight. We took eight or nine thousand dollars. You can take a hundred thousand dollars, but if you're spending a hundred and one, it's irrelevant. Um, mm. So it, it, I think it's really important to have a good grip of numbers and and have a really good accounting system. Now it's a very sophisticated world. You know the Australian ATO is at the front of everything in in terms of um uh, of access to, and I think it's a really good thing. But you know with One Touch Payroll and everything else, it's really important to have a a system running your business that provides you both with information, but also make sure that you're compliant um, and and having the, the the background to draw upon to know what to do when you get information. You know, when you get a food cost that's bad, it's all very well saying, oh, it's you know whatever it was, forty percent last week. But if you don't know how to react to that, it's 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 wasted information. So I think uh, it's really important to know how to react to information when you've received it. So are there things that you've learned that have made you that you've then gone on and made changes to your business as you as you've um, picked up that info? Absolutely. We we are um, I probably spend an hour a day on our business with regards to accounting. We use a little piece of software called Zero. Um, it's just a really good piece of software because it's a cloud based system and it means that I can have a look now at how we're going and where we're going and what accounts we've got outstanding and and everything else. Um we are really, really diligent. We look every week at our usages and compare them to what we've purchased. You know, if I've purchased like last week, I've probably bought 200 kilos of beef brisket. I need to see that reflected if there's none left in 200 kilos of beef brisket's worth of sales. And it needs to be done tomorrow so that if there's a problem, if we've been over portioning or if things haven't been quite the way they should be, I can fix it. Um, and it needs to be fixed tomorrow because there is there's just not enough margin in hospitality to allow there to be any wastage on the PL, be it labor, be it food. Um, you know, our labor's the same. I uh, We had a really good close down last night. So I texted all my guys last night and said, have a bit of a sleep in tomorrow, guys, and get in at 11.45 rather than 10.30. It's only 15 minutes, but if you've got six people working, it makes a difference. And they're quite happy for it. They're quite happy mm-hmm. to receive those texts because we, as I say, we I think we have a reputation for looking after people. No doubt you'll hear differently after this, but I think we do. And um, I think communicating with your staff is critical. So, look, 
getting information in a timely manner and knowing what to do with it when you've got it. And and I can honestly say that based on my experience, that applies to so few people in this industry. And, and mm. I think that would be one of the reasons why so many businesses get into trouble. Yeah, I mean, it is really fascinating to hear you talk about those those fine adjustments that you can make. Uh, uh, you've got all these different touch points and reference points within your business. And yeah, you can really uh, adjust things on the fly and I guess um, increase your profits along the way. Well, I think one of the challenges, one of the COVID challenges that we have that's a very real one is, is we're, we're living in this bubble at the moment. I mean, uh, many restaurants are receiving uh, JobKeeper, which in effect is is giving them a, a get out of jail card on the cost of their labour. The flip side of that is because of the COVID protocols in place, we're having to over service a small number of guests. So, you know, most places are restricted by by size or square metre densities or or simple capacity. You know, we have an area here that would easily seat 200. We're only allowed 70. We have to serve them drinks at the table. It has to be a full service environment. We have to have somebody controlling the door. So what that, it's almost a perfect storm. So uh, labour cost has gone up because of that level of staffing that we need. Uh, numbers of guests have gone down, um, which means that, that and and somewhere in the middle of the P&L, money's being bolted in that, that helps make the bottom line um, not bleed too much red ink. And I, I, I would challenge most restaurateurs at the moment to show me that they're actually making a profit in this COVID environment, let alone um, are they going to be making a profit when um, when JobKeeper finishes? That's that's when I think it's really going to to hurt. And I think that's when we're going to see blood on the street. So I don't mean literally, but I mean, I think we'll see lots of restaurants very quickly realising how much trouble they're in. Well, I think a lot of restaurants entered the pandemic behind the eight ball financially and JobKeeper's allowed them to limp through. Um, when JobKeeper tapers off at the end of March, I think there is going to be a massive shakedown. I wonder if that will shake a whole bunch of staff out into the labour market and that side of it will start to even up. Do you think there's any chance of that? Look, of course, if, if restaurants are closing and staff are losing their jobs, then of, of course it's creating supply because people will be looking for work. I think one of the other things that, that we need to talk about, which is, has a little bit of history, is the fact that the um, the industry in Melbourne, whether we like it or not, and we can talk behind closed doors, but whether we like it or not, the reason that we have such a fabulous industry in Melbourne is because it's been driven by cash for such a long time. Um, it's kept the prices down because it's meant that businesses weren't operating legitimately and to do so is expensive. Um, but, but you know, the um, I know a couple of years ago, there was a huge amount of hoo-ha about, about wage theft and everything else. But the, the reality of all of that is, is that customers have been compliant in that because they've been all complicit in it because they were happy to get $30 main courses and they were happy to get $4 coffees on a Sunday. Um, the reality is we have to put our prices up to legitimise and maintain longevity in the industry. And it's everybody is, is um, I guess, extremely nervous about doing it because, you know, nobody wants to be the first one to jump off the line and, and make it happen and be seen as the devil in, in black because, oh, suddenly they put their prices up 20%. But, Danny, it, it's got to happen. We've got to start charging more. And consumers have got to realize that we're not doing it because we're greedy we're doing it because we want to survive and whether you love the industry or not whatever your attitude is towards it we're here to make money it's not a love job it's certainly not a love career um, 
businesses have to make money if they have any chance of survival. And I, again, one of the things that was really disappointing for me when we had the wage theft conversation a year or so ago was there was never any talk about, okay, you know, we need to put pricing up. There should have been, a, I think, from, from the industry side, there should have been um, some rhetoric around, we, we accept what happened, and I think most people did, and we accept that there need to be changes, but it has to be paid for. And yet the perception in the marketplace was that restaurateurs are worth millions of dollars. I know the circles you move in, and you'd know how tough it is out there. Um, oh, so you can yes. imagine how there, – there is no money in it. You know, most restaurants make between 4 and 10%. If you went to a bank with a business plan with that on there, they'd laugh at you. Um, you know, when you've got plumbers and tradies turning up at your door for $95 an hour, and as a chef with four years' qualifications, you struggle to make 28 bucks an hour, there is, there's something fundamentally wrong with the industry. And one of the big things that's wrong with it is the pricing. Well, why don't people just put their prices up? Because they're frightened. I think there's two things that are happening. I think one is that there is there is still there are still operators that are a bit shonky, so they can keep their prices down because they're not doing the right thing. And I think the consumer backlash to any kind of change. Can you imagine putting coffees up to six dollars on Sunday across every cafe in Melbourne? Can you imagine? And I'm sure you can picture the backlash that there would be against every single one of those restaurants or cafes. Um, on social media and in the media it would be enormous but the reality is when you're paying time and a half or time and three quarters on a Sunday that that's the least you need to be charging for a cup of coffee Um, and if you go to Europe you'll pay six or seven pounds or six or seven euros for a coffee the pricing over there it's been expensive to eat out for a long time and of course it has because it's labor intensive we just don't seem to have we've allowed this black economy to take root and it's going to take some very good marketing by people, I think, to sell it to consumers that, that the glory days have gone. You know, you're not going to get $20 palmies on a Thursday anymore because if someone's selling them for 20 they're either doing it um, the wrong way or they're losing money and they don't know it because I don't think any of us want to burn piles of $20 notes without really giving it any thought. This is a conversation that happens within the industry frequently. Everyone can tell you that they need to put the prices up and yet here we are with $20 Palmers and $4 coffees. <laughs> I mean, yes. where it's there's such a disconnect. Like how does it change? Where is the shift? How does it change? Um, we put our prices up. <laughs> that's good and we've received and we've received some backlash for it but i can tell you and and we're on the numbers game we still struggle to make money and we're busy uh, but we still struggle to make money so um how does it change i I just think there needs to be honest open discussion on a on in an open environment not me phoning up somebody that runs a restaurant in melbourne that's a mate of mine and saying christ i wish i could put my prices up it needs to be in public forums, we need to get industry leaders like Chris Lucas behind it. We need to get people that have strong followings behind it. You know, Wes Lambert needs to jump in. There needs to be um, strong discussion about uh, about the trouble the industry's in. It's a big employer and we're famous for it. You know, Mornington Peninsula, 5 million visitors coming this year. They won't come back if they can't get into a bar or a restaurant. Um, so it's it's really important, I think. It's really important. 
I mean, maybe this is the time when um, demand is outstripping supply. I guess, you know, people will pay more. So maybe this is actually a really good time to, to reset, even though it's scary because people need money flowing through their businesses. Uh, they haven't had that for so long, you know, in many cases. Uh, and I guess nobody wants to stand out for being more expensive right now. But I guess it's so tricky, isn't it? The industry is so fragmented. It's like you'd love to say, you know, that everyone decides uh, to price match and it's $6 coffees on a Sunday. But we know that's not going to happen. There will be those people whether it's whether they take a hit on a certain item, you know, things like Seven Eleven with one dollar coffees, that all that yep. sort of stuff does not help yep. um, with the perception of how much things should cost. But I don't know; it's it's tricky. You'd love you'd love to think that out of the pandemic there would be solidarity, and I think there is in some quarters. Uh, but I think overall, I just yeah, I, I'll pay six dollars for a coffee on a Sunday, but. I don't know whether whether the, whether whether people that aren't into the industry will. I, I think one of the challenges we we have as well is is there is oversupply, or sorry, there has been oversupply in the industry. Let's be honest, mm, there's a lot of people yeah. out there that that enter the industry for all the wrong reasons. I had a conversation with a guy last night. He came along. What a great setup you've got here. I like cooking at home. And he's, I said, Oh, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm a builder, but I'm over it. My hands are giving up. I'm thinking about setting something like this up. And I thought. I'm not sure whether to be offended by that or think it's amusing. <laughs> you know, I'm just not sure where to go with it because does he really think it's that easy? Does he think that we we just pop up in a field and start serving brisket rolls? It, 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 again, it kind of upsets me a little bit because we work really hard and we always have worked really hard. And I think we're really smart compared to some. Yet the perception out there is that, that it's just easy you know we get regular comments on some of our dishes oh you know how much you were really expensive it was 22 dollars for a main course and i said do you realize and i'm always very open with people i said it cost me 10 dollars to put that on a plate well that's disgraceful you're making a hundred percent markup i'm thinking i i can't win this argument so there's just no point continuing it if they think that that's all that's involved in running this business then i'm going nowhere with this and it's certainly um I'm not going to help it by trying to explain that there are some other costs. There's GST, there's labour, there's the compliance costs now are enormous. Our insurance is horrendous. Um, you know, our local council fees are horrendous. Everything is expensive now. Yet, you know, that that seems to get thrown away. If you're a builder or a plumber or a sparky, bring it on. You know, 190 well, bucks an hour because that's what you need to be paid. And, and yet in our industry, it's it's we're, we're demonised for it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like other industries don't seem to have to account for their costs so much, whereas um, no. restaurants seem to. I mean, is it because it's it's so um, it's so consumer facing and the and the spend in general, like you might I don't know, maybe you pay whatever it is five thousand dollars to an electrician to wire up your whole house. It's like your spend. It, it, restaurants, I guess, have that accessibility and people are interacting with them all the time. So they feel like they've got more of a stake in them and they can have more opinions about them. And I suppose because people are, are interacting with food all the time, um, you know, they feel like they know how much things should cost because that's what they saw it for at the shops. So I suppose people do feel like they can they can have opinions about it. But yeah, it's but for some reason there is often that disconnect where having the opinions about it doesn't mean having the engagement to actually listen to all the costs that go into creating the price that um, they're asked to pay. Yeah, and I, I look, I don't know whether it's a good thing that they do. They just want to go out and enjoy a pleasant experience with great service and good food, whatever <laughs> yeah. whatever level they're pitching at. Um, 
But I, I do think it's a really um, unusual situation. I, look, you know, everybody's watched MasterChef and all of a sudden they're all experts. You know, we I had a chap that I was having a conversation with last night, really polite conversation, but he was saying, oh, your pork running at about 63 degrees. When I cook it at home for the family, I run it at 65, so maybe you should have a look at it. And I just said to him, do you realise <laughs> we'll probably serve 300 of them tonight? I'm not just serving the kids and my wife. It's a very <laughs> different story. But everybody's an expert. Everybody's an expert. You know, I can build a house. I should be tapping builders on the shoulder and saying, I reckon that nail needs to go an inch to the left because that doesn't look right to me. And when I do it at home and then see what kind of response we get. I love it. I'll tell you one thing about this conversation, love it. Paul. It, it, uh, one thing about this conversation that I'm very sure of is that it's made me feel like I need to eat some brisket. Can you tell me how you do it and how you, how you serve it? Just really make my mouth water. How do water. I have to? Yeah, of course. Okay, so we buy... Uh, we buy uh, Gibson grass-fed, so we try and use really good products, and we try and use local product where we can. So we have a – I've got a little smoker called the Mini Maiden. Um, so we dry rub our biscuit uh, – our biscuit. We dry rub our brisket with a mixture of uh, pibbled pepper, uh, salt, um, garlic salt, and um, smoky paprika. And then I roast it in a really hot oven in, in one of our smokers, really hot, um, to get a bark on the outside. And again, because we're doing it in big volumes, I'm not only feeding my three kids and, and my partner, although they would probably eat a whole brisket, but that's another story. <laughs> um, and then we take it out of the oven and cool it down and I vac pack it and then we sous vide. So sous vide is a very big part of our operation, um, simply because we have to have a very consistent, safe product. So the, the, the brisket, once it's barked and seasoned and roasted, goes into a water bath for 12 hours at 80 degrees. Then it comes out of the water bath and gets blast chilled. And then prior to service, we run it through another smoker on site, which is kind of our theatrical side of things. We've got a big smoker on site at the moment that Harry, I'm watching him now. He's he's starting to build up a head of steam. Let me tell you, he's getting quite sweaty over there, I think. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then we just basically reheat in the smoker. Um, so it's not, it's not, you know, pit master style. It's not 10 out of 10, as I would cook at home if I was willing to stand around a smoker for 12 hours loving a piece of brisket and drinking bourbon but it's the way we need to do it in a commercial environment because of the volumes and we need consistency and we need safety and then you serve it in rolls or on like with with, we do we have the fabulous john yeah we have the fabulous john from baker boys in melbourne who a lot of your listeners would know i've dealt with john for probably 15 years now so he he bakes a special butter roll for us it's a big nine inch torpedo for the beef brisket um, we make our own apple slaw, so the roll gets loaded up with apple slaw, and then you get about 250 grams of bis brisket on top. So it's an Yum. absolute feast. It really is. It is. I know it's very naughty. It's very naughty. So you have Sounds to have so one a day. It keeps the doctor away. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's it is. Great. And we do short ribs and we do pork. So we do all of our proteins get handled the same way. So they all get they all get some kind of rub or marinade. Um, they all get some kind of flame added to them and then they all get sous vide and the sous vide as i say for us is a really important part of the process because it's the only way we can do volume and it's the only way we can maintain consistency and and safety and the health inspectors love it because it is super safe providing you know what you're doing it's super safe uh yeah it sounds really delicious and uh, i mean it's yeah there's obviously that rigor um that runs through the cooking process as, as you've talked about it you know runs through all your uh, every aspect of your business it's really impressive um paul i'm not sure if we've solved all the problems of the world today but we've had a good crack at it <laughs> um wish you a great day down there in morning thank you um and yeah it's been fantastic to talk hope you can find enough staff to open up that second truck and smash it over summer 
Yeah, I hope so. It's it's looking a bit doubtful at the moment. We've, we're my partner and I are going to sit down tomorrow and really give it some thought and have another chat to the bank. But but at this at this stage, it's looking like a big fat no. I just I don't need that stress. I really yeah. don't, and I can't see any short term solutions. But what a travesty that is, really. I mean, yeah. But what you know, I've never been in this position. I've been in business, Danny, for myself since I was very young. Um, and I've never been in the position where I've been scared about expanding a business because I've been worried about labour. Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs. But it is. Despite that, I wish you a happy day. Thank you so much for chatting to Dirty Linen, and I'll see you one day for a brisket. Yeah, I look forward to it, Daddy. You take care. Have a great day. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.